0: This recording is a production of Faith Builders Educational Programs. This presentation was recorded at REACH 2015, a conservative Anabaptist ministry convention hosted by Faith Builders on March 19 and 20, 2015. I would like to make two statements before I begin. The first one is that I heartily endorse last evening's message. If you did not get it, you should listen to that. Earlier this week, I was <clears throat> reviewing a clip from a charismatic healing service over in, in um, Africa. And as I was watching the excitement of people being healed miraculously in the name of Jesus, and I questioned in my own spirit why we don't do more of that or see more of that in our own circles, God spoke to my heart and said, Healings of the body last for a lifetime. Healings of the soul last forever. And so while we're excited about God healing people, and he gives that opportunity in the book of James, and praise God for anybody who has experienced that and the excitement of that, our greater works that we must do is to win the lost. And so I heartily endorse last evening's message. The second statement. God has used Reach 2015 to show me how much pride is still in my heart. I'm not a favor. I'm not a fan of professional music. I like music. I can hear the words to and understand. And so, when choirs come along that are so well-trained and so professional that I can't understand what they're saying and what words they're saying. I have a, a um, judgmental attitude towards that. On Wednesday as the ministers were talking uh, in various ministries and I brought that question up of how do we How do we uh, go for excellence but still have community that we can all love each other? God revealed to me in my own heart how much pride I have because I'm a city missionary. And (laughs) how much in the past I have been judgmental about others who are not involved in cities people who are not involved in missions at all. Two years ago, when Merle Burkholder gave the evening address, it was a powerful address, it was moving, it was quite dynamic. And I thought if I ever have a general session, I'd like to, I'd like to be able to speak like Merle. And uh, so when this opportunity came along, I agreed to this, and as I want to do, I don't always remember what I agreed to. And so recently, I went online to to the website, and <clears throat> I uh, downloaded the brochure. And my topic is listed as "Light and Dark Places," and I never thought of the cities in relation to that. And I prepared a message, Light and Dark Places, and I thought, that'll be pretty good. That'll give Merle a run for his money. Last night as I was sitting here, I looked at this brochure. And this brochure says that I'm speaking on glorifying God in the city. That's a totally different message. And as I went home last night, I realized that my efforts were my own and not God's. I abandoned that one. And this morning, at 3 o'clock this morning, God gave me a new one. So whatever benefit or glory comes from this today, you know it's God, not me. Let's kneel before the Lord in prayer. Oh God... Forgive me and forgive us. We are a proud people. It's very easy for us to look at other church groups that don't obey your scripture and obey your word and to pass judgment on them and to be lifted up with pride because we're obedient. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. And use me in spite of me. And use your word and your Holy Spirit to guide us into truth. And to help us. Help us all to grow closer to you. May we walk in humility every day of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I invite you to turn to the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> I was in the hay mow one day, and a young 17 year old high school student helping my uh, nephew and brother in law putting hay into the mow. And somehow the subject of cities came up, and he made this statement. <clears throat> Everybody who lives in the city is lazy and crazy. And I said, "Everybody?" He said, "Oh, yes, everybody." And I was hoping for the opportunity to allow him to dig that hole a little deeper. But uh, my nephew said, "He lives in the city." He said, "Oh, uh, almost everybody who lives in the city is lazy and crazy." For Winter Bible School a few years back, I was given the topic, um, a Christian's response to hostility. The Winter Bible School program is such that you have two speakers on the same subject, and we each get to go to four or five, six different churches. The other person who had that same subject was Ted Steinrück from Reading. And I said, here is a prejudicial statement from the country boys to the city boys, The boys out there in the country, the pastors, whoever's on this committee, said, who can figure out how to respond to hostility better than those city boys? So they got me and Ted to speak about responding to hostility. The very fact that I did not even think about cities when we got the topic, light and dark places, and yet it was put together and announced in your program as Glorifying God in the cities slash light in dark places is a prejudicial statement. Seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountains and he was set. His, His tables came unto him. What do you see when you see the multitudes? What is it that you observe? Do you observe the skin color? Do you observe the nationality? Do you observe the fact that they haven't washed for a while? Do you observe the, the stumble of the, of the drunkenness down the street? What do you observe when you see the multitudes? If you are a prejudicial person towards the people in the city, you will never win the city. And so what do you see? What, do you see what Jesus sees? When Jesus looked here at the multitudes, he saw beyond skin color. He saw beyond nationality. He saw beyond gender. And he saw the bitterness of soul. He saw the sorrow of soul. He saw the grip of sin on people's lives. So, what do you see when you see the city? When you go in and see the multitudes and the people, do you run for the hills? Do you hope that God never ever calls you into the city? Do you hope that somehow God's going to keep you from the city? What do you see when you see the multitudes? Is it possible to walk into the city and to see the pain of the children who are living with a drunken father, a prostitute mother? Do you see the, uh, the pain of the children who don't know what they're going to eat tonight for supper, come home and mom's not even there, not even sure exactly when she's coming home? Do you see the children who have lost their virginity because of a neighbor, because of somebody, maybe an uncle? Do you see the, the tears and the fear, the sorrow, the pain of the young lady who gave herself to a man she thought meant what he whispered, but left after the baby came? Do you see that pain? Do you see that sorrow? Or do you just walk around with disgust? Why don't these people? They're too lazy. Everybody living here is lazy and crazy. What do you see? Verse 2 says, he opened his mouth and taught them saying, I'm wondering how much do we open our mouth? If we're going to glorify God in the cities, we're going to have to open our mouth. Lifestyle evangelism is not going to work. I want my life to show for Jesus. Most of us men, if we're going to be honest, I want my wife to show for Jesus. And the only time we show for Jesus is on Sunday morning when we sit beside her in church. Lifestyle evangelism is not enough. Friendship evangelism is not enough. We need to open our mouths and speak. Seeker-friendly church is heresy. He opened his mouth and taught them. And Jesus said to you, And to me, go into all the world and make disciples, we need to open our mouth and proclaim. And then he goes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Are we really poor in spirit? Are we really those who recognize that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing? Or are we very proud of our heritage? Well, I thank God for the Ability to work and the ability to sing, and all of the things that we have, we've been very, very blessed. But in us there dwells no good thing. Do we recognize that? Are we really poor in spirit? Now I get down here and we talk about all of these, and then we get to verse 6. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. To hunger and to thirst after righteousness, My sons and I hiked the Appalachian Trail. There was a couple times where we just were out of water, and we didn't know where the next water... We understood hungering and thirsting. And we were looking... There was a water puddle on the ground that we were thinking about lapping up. Desperation, thirst. Do we do that for righteousness? Are we hungry and thirsty for my righteousness, for your righteousness, for our neighbor's righteousness, for the prostitute's righteousness? What are we doing? Are we really, really after righteousness? Or are we, as a church, hungering and thirsting after bigger houses and better cars and the big pickup trucks and the vacation homes, the peril, the technology? What are we hungering after? And we get down to verse 13, it says, "You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt had lost its savor, wherewith shall be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast down, to be trodden under the foot of men.'" Recently, I was eating some food that was way, way too salty. It was unbearable. I couldn't hardly get it down. It doesn't take very much salt to be too salty. You're the salt of the earth. Just a little bit of salt makes a, a big difference. Is it possible that we have some concentrations of salt that is too salty? Is it possible that the gospel is being hindered because we have too many of the salt people on one pile? Ye are the salt of the earth. I would that every neighborhood and every city in America had a little salt. Every neighborhood and every city had a little salt. And what a difference every neighborhood would have if we had a little salt. Ye are the light of the world. Ye are the light. Too much light, it's blinding, it's irritating, we can't stand it. A little light, though, is wonderful. We need to spread the light out. We need to spread this light out so that the the whole world can see. We're in the midst of darkness. You are the light of the world. You. Me. Why aren't we spread out? Why aren't we going other places? Then we get over to prayer. And it says... uh, No, not yet. I'm sorry. In verse 19, he said, don't think that I came to fulfill the law, I came to fulfill it, not to to get away from it. Verse 19, whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We need individuals, if we're going to glorify God in a city, who are going to keep all the commands and teach all the commands. The church in America today is deciding not this one, no, this one, yes, this one. We need all the commands. We're going to glorify God in the city or in the country. I don't care where you're at. You You need to keep all the commands. And it's very, very important to God that we keep all those commands, not just some of them. We have way too many people who believe they're going to heaven, and they've divided which ones are okay to keep and which ones are not okay to keep. But keeping commands... With an attitude of bitterness or resentment, or I have to do this because I want to get to heaven, is not the right way. We must do it with joy. We must do it with excitement. I'm married to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> when I was a teenager, there was a. I was over at one of my friend's house, and his uh, mother was frenching the beans. Now I don't know how if you know what I'm talking about, Frenchy beans. I like to buy French beans in the can at the store. The work's all done. But this little thing, and one bean at a time was going through the Frencher. One bean at a time. I said, why are you doing that? Because this is how my husband loves them. One bean at a time. I thought, what an ungodly husband. To demand. <laughs> but with great joy, she was Frenching every bean, saying, I love my husband. Romans chapter 7 says, you're married to Jesus Christ. Are you married to Jesus? If you're married to Jesus, you ought to do his commands with joy, not grudgery. Excitement. I'm married to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so we go out there and we tell the commands, we instruct the commands, and we do them with a smile on our face. It's very, very important if we're going to glorify God in the cities. Verse thir- uh, 20 says, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not get to heaven. And so I say, God, what does that mean? And I believe that the scribes and Pharisees did their righteousness for the praise of man. Wow, you're a righteous man. Oh, man, you're godly. Pat, pat, pat. And then if that's why we're doing things, we're, we're not going to get to heaven. That's what Jesus said. Unless your righteousness is done for the glory of God and you're doing everything for the glory of God and not so people pat you on the back, you're, not, you're just like a scribe and Pharisee. In 21, 20 and 21, I say unto you that who, uh, no, 21, ye have heard that it is said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, but whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger. If we're going to minister into the cities, we've got to get rid of our anger. The Bible says, get rid of all anger. Put it away from you. Let it not be once named among you. When I was uh, earlier there at the church, uh, my wife and I, before we had eight children, we were um, uh, memorizing the book of James. And I got to James chapter 1, verse 19, 20. It says, the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. The wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. And I, I started to think, God, the wrath of man? And God said to me, if you don't get rid of your anger, you can't win your children, You can't win the neighborhood children. There's nobody you're going to win to Jesus if you're angry. And I began to do a search on anger, and you could do a search on anger. And people go back, and they cling on to that one verse. Be angry and sin not. Let not somebody down upon your wrath. And they hold on to that and say, see, we can be angry. But the Bible says get rid of all anger, all wrath, all malice. Get rid of it. Let it not once be named among you. That's our goal. That's where we have to go. And so if we're going to minister in the city we've got to repent and proclaim it as a sin. In chapter and verse 23, therefore if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there remembers thy brother have all it against thee leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way first be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art on the way with him lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou be cast into prison Verily, I say unto you, thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the othermost further. If you remember your brother has anything against, go get right with your brother. Make it right. Lancaster County and your county, wherever you're from, these concentrations of our churches have been way too many church splits. And for years and years and years, we've had all against our brothers and we let it go. We didn't do anything about it. You can't minister like that in the city. Chapter, it's verse 27, talks about adultery. And we recognize that we're not going to have uh, extramarital relations or we're, not going, we're going to keep ourselves. But in our minds, in the internet, where are we at? Are we really keeping ourselves pure? But we go on. Non-resistance, turning the other cheek, and we say, yeah, we don't go to war, but we grumble and complain, and we fuss and moan about people who do us wrong. Turn to chapter 6. I was uh, not very non-resistant. I didn't punch a person in the face. I didn't do anything that uh, would be wrong. But I went to uh, the clinic in in York, the poor folks clinic, where we could get— our teeth done for 35 bucks or whatever. And uh, they they did some blood work. And I was used to paying $35 for a doctor visit, $25 doctor visit. And this blood work came back, and it was uh, 500 and some dollars. And I couldn't believe this. And I, I, um, I got pretty hyper. And I got, I got on the phone, and I t- t- uh, let them know how... Uh, poor uh, business practice this is. And uh, they said, well, would you like to make payment plans? And I said, yeah, I'll give you five bucks a month. And uh, they said, well, no, that's, that doesn't work. You've got to pay 20. And I let them know it'll be five. I'm telling you much calmer than I told them. And I got off the phone. And I said, what happens if we're doing street meetings? And this lady says, I recognize that voice. <laughs> uh See, weren't you the one that called me? I, I gave him 20 a month. Non-resistance is more than just don't take up a gun and shoot somebody. Alms. Giving your alms in secret. Prayer. Turn, chapter 6. Uh, teach us to pray. And he says this prayer, and we, we've, we've repeated it so often that we don't think about what's really there. Our Father... Which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. What's the next word? In earth. Not on. In earth. In earth. That your will be done in earth as it's done in heaven. What's the difference? My name's Clayton. I'm a ton of clay. I'm just a bunch of dirt. Amen? Amen? You are too. <laughs> Someday you're going to die and you're going to go dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Your earth. God, may your will be done in earth as it's done in heaven. And we want to glorify God in this season. We've got to constantly pray, God, may your will be done. How is it done in, earth? in heaven? It's done immediately. It's done cheerfully. It's done exactly, precisely. That's what I want in me, God. It's got to be in earth as it is in heaven. Fasting. Are we going to, to do that? They go over to wealth. Verse 19. I don't have time to get all this in. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We pride ourselves. that We, are, we obey every command of Scripture. We, we're very happy about that. Oh, there's other churches. Those, you know, they... They've let this slip and that slip, and they accept divorce and remarry. and they do. Lay not up for yourself treasures on earth. Period. Any more explanation? Look in your bank account. Verse 24 says you cannot serve two masters. You try, you'll cling to the one and despise the other, or how does it say it? Either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will hold to the one and despise the other. And so if you love God, you're going to hate Satan. But if you're holding on to Satan just for a little bit of thrills and fun, you'll despise God. You can't do both. And so God is very clear to help us to understand we've got to stop. And we've got to give ourselves completely over. Judge not, you be not, judge verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 7. I hope you understand that that's the favorite Bible verse in America today. The number one most quoted verse. Thanks to President Clinton and some other shenanigans down there in Washington. The whole Bible, though, says judge righteous judgment. Don't judge by appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And that uh, we are to judge. We're going to judge the, the uh, angels. And so you know we've got to go through and proclaim truth the right way. I uh, <clears throat> Divorce and remarriage. If we're going to minister in the city, we've got to proclaim it truth the right way. Divorce is wrong. A man came to me the other day and said, hey, I want to, I want to tell you this story. So don't interrupt me until I'm done. But he said, uh, I, I uh, talked to a young lady, and I said, I'd like to marry you. And she said, Clayton said, I can't marry you. I said, Clayton said you can't marry you. What, do you have a husband still living? He said, yeah. Oh, that's wrong then. It's Divorce. That would be adultery for me. He said, I've come too far in my Christian life to turn back and give it up now. I'm not marrying her. Praise the Lord. I didn't tell him that. Holy Spirit told him. We've got to not be embarrassed about that. 24. seven, twenty-four. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, And that we understand the Sermon on the Mount is for today, today. It's not for some millennium where the lamb and lion lay down together and there's no enemies. Most churches in America today proclaim that this is not for today. But Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, do this. We ought to memorize it. We ought to practice it. We ought to understand it. We ought to be able to explain it. We ought to be able to justify it. We ought to be able to say with a smile on our face, I'm in love with Jesus, and that's what I'm going to do, regardless of where he calls us to minister. Dear God, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that your word is truth. And we thank you that your truth is going to prevail. And your word will prevail. And so, regardless of what I think, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what I say, regardless of what I've been taught, regardless of what I've been trained, it's your word. It's your Holy Spirit. May we fall in love with you. May we proclaim your truth in the cities that you call us to. And even as you sent out your disciples into every city and every village around, two by two, may we hear the call to go and glorify you in the cities with your word and your sermon your message bless us and make us a blessing we pray in Jesus name amen this recording and many others are available through christian learning resource the campus bookstore at faith builders order online at www.christianlearning.org or call 8772224769